Gil McGregor from NBA Sound System here, and I want to tell you about Religion of Sports and PRX's latest show, Rough Housing. Hazing has been a part of American life for hundreds of years, and today, in high school sports, it's happening a lot more often than you might think. Journalist Iggy Monda takes listeners inside high school locker rooms to meet people on all sides of the story and try to figure out why kids haze in the first place. Why do any of us do it? And what does it say about us? Listen to Rough Housing on Apple Podcasts now. Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here, back again with my guy, Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's up, man? How much, man? I mean, this is one of the best time of the year for <laughs> basketball fans. So you got March Madness on one end. You got the end of the NBA season on the other end with a tight playoff race. So it's tough to keep up with all these hoops, man. I know. It's a great time to be a basketball fan. I guess it's a good problem to have, right? Um, too much basketball. There's no such thing as that. First weekend of March Madness is a wrap. Then you look at the NBA schedule. There's fewer than three weeks left in the season. Where's the time gone? Um, a lot of teams have 10 or fewer games remaining in the season. So I guess with everything going on, we should probably start with March Madness to piggyback off of what we did last week. Um, a lot going on. Uh, we saw a number one seed, Purdue, lose. You kind of foreshadowed that a little bit to Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, saw a lot of guys hurt, not hurt, sorry, help their their draft stock. So when we talk about the prospects that we kind of talked about uh, last week, what stood out most to you as far as guys helping themselves as far as uh, the, the draft goes? This isn't necessarily someone that helped themselves, but I want to start at the top with Brandon Miller, who, mm. you know, people are starting to consider him as someone who could potentially be the number two overall pick mm. in the 2023 NBA draft, depending on which team lands that selection. Um, Brandon Miller did not have the start to the NCAA tournament that people would have expected. He literally scored zero points against <laughs> Texas A&M Corpus Christi in a game that Alabama won by 20. Um, he was the first player to uh, go scoreless in an NCAA tournament game since like the 1970s uh, for someone who averages as many points per game as he does, which is 19 points per game. Um, and then after the game, it was revealed that he's been dealing with a nagging groin injury since the SEC championship game uh, on Selection Sunday. Um, so he was limited to 19 minutes in that contest. When he bounced back against Maryland, uh, Alabama rolled through that matchup as well. Brandon Miller was not his normal efficient self. I think he shot like five for 17 from the field or something like that. But he still had a series of plays that really showed what makes him such a great prospect. He had a chase down block. And then on the other end, he's knocking down a three in transition. He was still getting to the free throw line. Um, so, you know, I don't think he's someone that can necessarily really hurt his draft stock at this point. Uh, his entire season long body of work has kind of cemented himself as the number one prospect in college basketball. But um, you know, to move down the ladder a little bit further, uh, number two prospect that I had on my list was Jairus Walker from Houston. Mm -hmm. And I was extremely impressed with what I saw from him in the opening weekend. You know, in the first round against a team like Northern Kentucky, he really showed that he is, you know, a physically dominant presence. That was a, a much smaller team when you're facing a 16 seed like that. Don't tell that to Zach Eady, but, you know, <laughs> Jairus Walker was really kind of asserting his dominance, um, you know, he was a force in the paint, scoring at the rim uh, with with ease, finding the soft spots in that zone, showing he has a little bit of a shooting touch with some push shots and things like that. And then in the second round against Auburn, a much bigger and more physical team, uh, Jairus Walker showed what makes him so valuable as an NBA prospect with his versatility and honestly his adaptability and his role of being able to impact the game without scoring. He finished with 10 rebounds. He had six blocks. The guy was coming out of nowhere to block shots. He was defending in space. Uh, he was not, he knocked down one three pointer again to show that he has some ability to step outside and knock down the three ball. So, you know, when we're talking about a player who I think helped his draft stock, he was already for me on that fringe potential top five pick. And I think that he is, you know, well on his way to cementing himself 
as a potential top five pick uh, in yeah, the 2023 think, NBA draft in June. I think I think that's that's the thing I, I really noticed and I, and I enjoyed about that. And, and to start with Brandon Miller and the injury that he sustained and thinking about, you know, First of all, it speaks a lot to how good Alabama is, right? Your best player, scoreless, they they they, they dominate. Um, but now you'll get a chance, those of you who are listening and looking out to see what he what he is. If you're a fan of one of those teams, if you may be uh, the Spurs or the Pistons or the Hornets who might end up taking him second or third, he will have a week to rest and recover. And once they get back to we might he might look a little more like himself. Groin injuries are very tricky, um, but that's somebody who I definitely think um, will bounce back with more time as far as that goes. I think the other part of it, too, has just been the storylines. We talked a little bit about FDU and, and upsetting Purdue. Second time we've ever seen that happen. Um, you know, a lot of guys having their, their big time moments. And I think we talked about it a little bit, guys who potentially could burst onto the scene as draft guys. Um, you know, Janelle Davis at uh, Florida Atlantic talking about feeding his family, getting his family uh, fed. He's playing really well for a Florida Atlantic team that really could go far. It's not going to get any easier for them. But, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, these these teams and these guys who can help themselves and just burst on the scene performing at the highest level. These are guys who are probably going to maybe test the waters as far as the draft goes. And I definitely got to shout you out and, and make a big plug. You know, we took a shot at Purdue, but they didn't take care of business. Uh, you have a number of scouting reports over at the Sporting News, including, uh, you know, why guys like Zach Eady and Drew, Drew Timmy aren't projected uh, as first-round picks this year, but also uh, learn more about the strengths and weaknesses of Brandon Miller, uh, Grady Dick, who we talked about last week. Kansas, unfortunately, could not make it to the Sweet 16. Not having Bill Self had a, a big hand in that on the sidelines. Best wishes to him and his health. Um, but there'll be more to come, more uh, prospect evaluations on some of those guys. I think it's interesting um, that you compared Grady Dick and least uh, in the short headline over the Sporting News, maybe the next Clay Thompson. And Clay Thompson was in the news this weekend because the rivalry between the Warriors and the Grizzlies continued while you were paying attention to what was going on in college basketball. Oh, well, no love lost between the Warriors and Grizzlies. Also, people say that it's the best rivalry in the NBA right now. Would you agree? Uh, I mean, if we're going by Draymond Green's terms, it's the best rivalry. That's not a rivalry in the NBA right now because the Grizzlies, quote unquote, haven't won anything yet. But I mean, come on, man, this is a rivalry. What are we doing here? Like these, you know, the Warriors won the NBA finals last year and in their, you know, postgame press conferences as they're (laughs) celebrating covered in champagne and and sitting up there with the trophies. The the first thing they're talking about is the Grizzlies and like some back and forths they had that got us a a Grizzlies Warriors Christmas Day game this Mm -hmm. year, which was awesome. And then, you know, Throughout the season, we've had Draymond Green and Dylan Brooks trading blows. Now we have Clay Thompson and Dylan, Bo- Dylan Brooks, uh, you know, sending shots at each other. So this is a rivalry. Come on now. What yeah. are we doing? This yeah. is like, you know, this is a new age rivalry where a lot of it is done on social media and a lot of it is done through, <laughs> you know, trash talking on apps right. and stuff like that. It's not as much as like, you know, Dr. J and Larry Bird grabbing each other yeah, by right. the neck during games, <laughs> but it's, it's a new age rivalry for sure. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned that. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that social media, Jaron Jackson Jr., they beat the Warriors last season in a regular season game, tweets out strength and numbers. Clay Thompson takes a <laughs> mental note of it. <laughs> Again, Tristan Champagne calls Darren Jackson Jr. a bum. They have played them two series ago and it's still in their mind. And I think the biggest part about rivalries, right, they're made in the playoffs um, and the fact that this, the, those two teams went back and forth in the playoffs. You got Steph Curry getting in Josh's face, talking about we're going to have some fun, um, all that stuff. But the latest chapter of the rivalry over the weekend, the Warriors, who still somehow just can't win on the road, went to Memphis, uh, the Grizzlies without John Morant, who 
as being reinstated into the lineup as of today, Monday at the time of recording. He'll probably be back in the lineup by the end of the week um, after serving an eight-game suspension. Uh, but they were without John Morant. They, they got a pretty – they won pretty handily uh, against the Warriors. And then at the end of the game, you see Klay Thompson looking towards the Grizzlies bench, counting to four. And apparently, Dylan Brooks – <laughs> looked at the bench, told Clay Thompson he sucked, and Clay Thompson responded as Clay Thompson would with counting to four because he has four championships. Um, and then <laughs> it was just funny because Dylan Brooks like, yeah, it, it's friendly trash talk, you know. They have, they have, you know, what we want. We want to win four championships. And then Clay Thompson like wasn't friendly at all. Clay Thompson goes, yeah, when Dylan Brooks retires, nobody's going to talk about him anymore. Like, give it ten years, he's irrelevant. All that stuff. So um, the thing is, look at the standings. The Grizzlies might end up at third. The Warriors might end up at sixth. So if that happens, are you expecting you know, the Warriors to win that? Because Dylan Brooks says he has a lot of real estate in San Francisco, but the Warriors are still the defending champs until dethroned. So with John Morant coming back to the lineup potentially soon, what do you make of this first-round potential matchup between Warriors-Grizzlies? I actually think that's like kind of the Grizzlies' worst nightmare because yeah. <laughs> the Warriors are the team that has the experience and – you know, maybe if Memphis had like a, a first, easier first round matchup is kind of like a jumping off point to gain some momentum, you know, really integrate job back into the lineup. I'm curious to see, you know, how locked in he is once he returns, how seamless that transition is. I mean, Tyus Jones has been awesome in his, uh, you know, as an interim starting point guard. Now the team's going to have to readjust to going back uh, through John Morant with everything. But, um, you know, the, the Warriors are a team that if they make the playoffs and there's still a chance they somehow might miss the playoffs as the defending yeah. champs. Um, you know, that's not a team that anybody wants to see in the postseason. They're going to be really tough to beat in a seven game series, even with their road struggles, their defensive struggles, you know, all everything that they've gone through this entire year. I still don't think there's a single team in the West that would be excited to see them in the first round, especially the Grizzlies, because you know, they're going to bring an extra chip on their shoulder. You know, that Draymond and Clay are going to bring an extra edge. You know, Steph Curry <laughs> is going to bring his A game and they're going to do everything in their power that they can to knock out that Grizzlies team in the first round and keep bragging rights for, you know, at least another full season, potentially even beyond that. So I really do think that would be kind of a nightmare first round matchup for Memphis. Yeah, I think like you said it, like I think that the Warriors would do everything in their power <laughs> to not lose that first round series. And I do think that with the question marks surrounding both teams, Andrew Wiggins still away from the Warriors for personal reasons. So we don't know if he'll be back with the team. Obviously, still best wishes to him as well. Um, but it's a big dynamic missing for that team played a big role in their, in their championship run last year, but their question marks on both sides with John Moran as well. That's very valid to wonder, you know, with him taking a couple weeks off, it's, it's not just reincorporating your sixth, seventh, eighth man. This is reincorporating the guy that everything revolves around. So figuring that out and seeing that again, the Warriors, they have too much pride, uh, to, to, to let that go by. One more thing on the Warriors, you, you mentioned them having road struggles. I don't know if struggles is a strong enough word. As we talk about this right now, the Warriors are seven and 29 away from the Chase Center. Um, they have. Five more road games left this year, Kyle. I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this beforehand. It's not that hard of a question. Though. I'm just going to ask you. I tweeted about this the other day. Last five road games for this Warriors team at Houston, at Dallas, at Denver, at Sacramento, and at Portland in the season finale. Do they get to 10 road wins this season? I saw that tweet the other day, and I thought that was a great question. And the answer is no. They don't get to 10 road wins this season. There's some <laughs> tough teams on that on that schedule there. I mean, we've already seen them drop road games to Houston this year. Like Sacramento yeah. is playing arguably the best basketball in the NBA right now. Yeah. 
like Portland, you know, you're, you're Damian Lillard going for 60 points away from blowing that one too. Like uh, they've done nothing this season that earns them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, like you said, they have seven road wins. That is the same number of road wins as the Detroit Pistons who have 16 wins on the season. There are only two teams in the league that have fewer road wins with, than the Warriors, and that's the Rockets and Spurs, who have actively been trying to lose games all season. Like and you that say is that they only have one fewer win. <laughs> they, have, they both have six road wins. That is that is embarrassing. And this is a Warriors team that I'm pretty sure, and in, in, you know, I would ha- I should have looked this up before, but don't they have like the longest active NBA playoff streak for a series with a road at win? least one run? So yeah, it's like, at least one road win. <laughs> you know, throughout the entire Steve Kerr era, this team has been getting it done on the road when it matters most. I'm curious to see if they're able to flip the switch in the playoffs the way they have in the past, because, you know, as of right now, they've been one of the worst road teams in the NBA. Um, but, you know, history shows that they do a pretty good job of winning on the road in the playoffs if they can get there. Yeah, it's inexplicable. And, and it's funny when you, it, it could very well be what keeps them from having a top six seed, a top four seed. Uh, you know, playing the play-in tournament, a home game in a play-in tournament, whatever, they haven't had an opportunity to separate themselves. I mean, we've talked about this all year. There is a serious log jam in the Western Conference. We start the week, um, the Warriors are 36 and 36, 29 and 7 at home, 7 and 29 on the road. Um, but then you, but you have their, their two and a half games behind the Suns, two games behind the Clippers, a half game behind the Mavericks who are currently in sixth. And, you look at all this movement, everything going on in the Western Conference. Again, the Warriors' road record stands out as being one of their biggest hindrances. But what do you make uh, of this going on right now? The Warriors are the defending champs, so there's pressure that comes with that to defend your title regardless of health, regardless of roster questions, roster issues. But the Suns swung for the fences. They they brought in Kevin Durant. The Clippers need something to show for this Kawhi Leonard-Paul George era before, you know, we're a couple of years in and they have been to the conference finals one time. The Mavericks swung for the fence. They brought in Kyrie. You know, the Lakers have LeBron James, Anthony Davis on their roster, despite the fact that, you know, LeBron and AD have both missed extended time this season. So when you kind of talk about this, and, and I wrote this over at the Sporting News um, about the teams in the Western Conference who are facing the most pressure to make a run, whether it's to get in the play in tournament, have an advantageous position or get out of that seven through 10 to make the top six, where do you kind of place these teams with uh, the high stakes and high pressures that they're dealing with? I hate that this is like such a fence riding answer, but I think the answer (laughs) is that they're all tied for first on having the most (laughs) pressure to make the playoffs. Because I mean, think about the way that you just laid it out. The Suns went all in. The Clippers need something to show for Kawhi and PG. The Mavs, you know, with Luka and Kyrie, they have to have something to show for that as well, because, you know, Kyrie could very well just walk at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. If you have LeBron James on your roster, especially at this age, there's always going to be to, always going to be pressure to win games, even when he hasn't right. been healthy during the home stretch of the season. I even think a team like the Minnesota Timberwolves, who you yeah. know have kind of been forgotten a little bit here, but I mean they made a huge a huge move this offseason as well, trading yeah. a ton of draft capital to get Rudy Gobert and what they thought was a move to try and get them into that contender status as well. So you know you have a lot of teams fighting for not very many playoff spots, and on top of that, you have teams that have been pesky all year, like OKC in Utah in the mix that are trying to steal one of those playoff spots as well i mean you know there's a good chance that there's some of the teams that we just said that have a ton of pressure on them to make the playoffs don't make the postseason because a team like oklahoma city or a team like utah who everybody thought was going to be tanking for lottery (laughs) balls ended up stealing one of their playoff spots so the western conference is i mean there's what one and a half games that separates a first round you know clinching a first round uh, spot in the playoffs as a number six seed in being the first team out of the playoffs in the 11th spot. So there's a lot of pressure coming down in these last 10 games. 
And that's the thing, the big reminder that we talked about. This isn't like, hey, there's two months left. This is going to sort itself out. There are 10 games. There's three, there's, there's 10 games left in the season for most of these teams or fewer, right? And it's like, this is going to probably come down to the last few days of the season. Every game is massive. The Lakers lost on a game winning shot to the Mavericks last week. That's the difference between them being right now 10th and 6th because they lost to the Mavericks. So the Mavericks would be 35 and 36. The Lakers would be 36 and 36, and they would be in 6th. But now they're hanging on in 10th. And I like that you mentioned, you know, the Thunder and the Jazz. Talk about playing with house money, right? Like, it's a win-win. Like, you have a playoff appearance to build on or a play-in tournament postseason appearance to build on for your young guys or you pick in the late lottery, which we mentioned there are some guys, especially if teams like that, who are good enough that they can kind of draft best pick available for need and not necessarily, you know, draft like need to, you know, hit have a home run swing with whoever they get and knock it out of the park. So I think the one team we didn't talk about, and I'm, I'm very curious, so where do you place a team like the Pelicans who at the beginning of the year, or at the early stages of the year, they were number one in the West. We were talking about them like they were legitimate title contenders. Obviously, Zion Williamson goes down early January. You're down an all-star, a, a maybe generational talent. Obviously, your, your, your team is going to fall off a little bit. But that being said, if this is a team who we said maybe could win the Western Conference, should they not have been able to maybe hold serve a little bit more, a little bit better without their best player? I know Brandon Ingram missed some time, too. But – are we disappointed at all that the Pelicans are kind of not higher up on this on this hierarchy? Definitely. I think, you know, Brendan, like obviously everyone's talking about how Zion Williamson has missed a ton of time this season. I don't think it's been talked about as much how much time Brandon Ingram has missed this season as yeah. well. But, you know, this is a team that we saw hold their own in the first round of the playoffs last year and took the Suns to six games in the first round and, you know, really made it look like the Suns could have lost that first round series at times. And now all of a sudden they don't even have enough firepower to, you know, stay in the top 10 in the West. I think it's been a massive disappointment, uh, you know, massive disappointment for New Orleans this season. I'm sure all of their fans feel the same way. I know you're tied into that fan base pretty closely mm-hmm. being from there. Um, you know, it, it's there's no other way to kind of bend it, but at the same time with a really talented draft class in Zion Williamson, you know, trying to get healthy, it doesn't seem like, you know, I mean, I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem like he's all of a sudden going to come back at any point down right. the home stretch of the season, unless they somehow make the play in tournament of the playoffs, maybe. Um, so he might, he might as well be done for the year. And, you know, as much as it always feels like, or at least for, you know, the first couple of years of Zion's career, it always feels like, oh, well, there's always next year for him to get healthy. It does kind of feel like it's another one of those seasons where it's like, you know, all right, well, maybe next year after they add another draft pick to the, you know, to the mix and they have the Lakers Mm -hmm. pick and everything like that. So, you know, maybe it is just kind of a better luck next year situation for New Orleans, but I don't think any of their fans are happy about that. No, absolutely not. And you mentioned I, you know, I am in touch with some of the fan base. I think that the big frustration is just that I hear with them is kind of, you know, injuries are part of the game and, and I don't think that they're upset at the guys who have to step up and, and fill in for those roles because you, you're you not going to be Zion Williamson. We saw what we saw from him this year, you know, was MVP level stuff, all-star starter level stuff. And he, we're going on almost three months without him. That being said, if the, 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 they've, they've been frustrated for a lack of identity with this team, a, la- a lack of toughness and a lack of a little bit of a care with this team, right? They, they went down to Houston and lost on the road to the Rockets, you know, again, who are who've played better basketball as of late. But if you're a team, final couple weeks of the season, every single game matters to get a playoff spot. You can't lay an egg like that. They let the Lakers make a franchise record 
they didn't let him. But the Lakers made a franchise record, you know, like 15 threes in the first half in a must-win game, and that was in New Orleans. So I think, you know, the frustration is is understandable. I think it's important to remember how young Zion Williamson is. And, you know, I, I think people are quick to, you know, write him off with his injury issues. And I think I wrote about this last season when he missed all last year. Let's not forget about Joel Embiid, right? Joel Embiid is a guy who we thought was not ever going to be able to complete an 82-game season. He figured it out eventually. Now he's in MVP discussions every year. Zion Williamson is very young. This Pelicans team is still very young, save for C.J. McCollum. And and it's difficult to continue to say better luck next year, this, that, and the third. But in reality, that's just kind of the approach that you you need to – not necessarily the approach you need to take, but I think the perspective you need to maintain. Because at the end of the day, like, you know – as long as you have Zion Williamson and he can figure it out by the age of 24, because he's just what 21, 22 right now, like you're going to be fine. It's just hard to do it. And, and even then, like, you know, again, you being from Boston, understanding like, Hey, the Celt- it's hard to win. The Celtics team had plenty of shortcomings. They've, they've kind of taken the steps along the way, but you remind yourself, wait, our best two players are, you know, 25, 26 years old, 26, 27 years old. Like they still, their prime still awaits them. Um, so I think that's the important part to remember. So I wouldn't consider it to be, that big of a disappointment just given all of the adversity but i do understand the concerns around identity and toughness and caring just generally speaking you know you have the heart and soul like a jose alvarado and a herb jones for that team but trying to have that identity uh, all around so last thing i'll ask you uh, before we f- take a break and then focus on the eastern conference i, I use the word disappointment talking about the Pelicans, we talked about the pressure of these teams, and you said some of these teams aren't going to make it. If you had to pick one team, biggest disappointment in the Western Conference, if they were to miss the playoffs altogether, who would that be? And I'm peeking over at the standings here because, again, like the answer could be any of these teams. I feel yeah. pretty confident about the Suns in the Clippers. The Clippers are good. Um, they're good. Making the playoffs, like I, I feel like they're pretty much locked in. I mean, Golden State is probably the answer, right? Like if they were to go from defending champs and in a run that, you know, as awesome as they were in the playoffs, like there are definitely some people that kind of feel like it was a little bit of a fluky run from them last year. Um, Obviously not having Andrew Wiggins made a huge difference this season. Like I I would even go as far as to say they probably don't even win the finals if not for Andrew Wiggins last year, even with Steph going nuclear the way that he did. Um, So that's probably the answer. But at the same time, I mean, the Lakers can't miss the playoffs in back-to-back years either, man. Like LeBron James is still playing at – you know, MVP caliber basketball, like that level of play, even though he hasn't been on the floor for basically the entire second half of the season, unofficial second half of the season after the all-star break, like you just can't waste years like this for LeBron James in the back end of his career. And part of that falls on Anthony Davis and needing to be healthy and stepping up and things like that. You know, they made the right moves to upgrade that roster at the trade deadline. I was really impressed with what the Lakers did, but things still haven't clicked consistently. Um, and you know, I, I think that, you know, people start losing jobs if the Lakers move, miss the playoffs again this year. So I think it's kind of a, a two way tie between the defending champion warriors and LeBron James and Anthony Davis Lakers. I'm a zig since you zagged and, and I'm gonna say Dallas, Dallas has a young superstar. I mean, we talk about guys not being in their prime yet. It's prime. He's like exempt from that discussion. Like prime for Luka Doncic is anytime he's on the basketball court. Um, he's had some injury issues lately, um, but he's been playing at an MVP level this year. And I think that it, it, I won't call it organizational ineptitude because they have tried. They brought Kyrie Irving there, and and there's some things that they need to iron out with that roster. But this is a team that was in the conference finals last year. You know, they 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 the Warriors made light work of them in the conference finals, but 
they were in the conference finals last year and they, they were expected to build upon that. They bring in a guy like Kyrie Irving. Granted, they did lose Jalen Brunson, but again, they brought in Kyrie Irving to be that guy. And, and it's been a little more difficult to, to, for them to figure things out um, and incorporating him and Luke. And they both have dealt with injuries. But I think it'd be a massive disappointment to go from overachieving to underachieving and then just missing the playoffs altogether for Dallas. And I think that why it's a bigger disappointment is that on top of everything else, that pressure of Luca's temperament weighs heavy, right? Like he's made the playoffs these these all these years, early part of his career. Now he's, you know, now he's established kind of getting into that next level of stardom. To miss the playoffs altogether, I think would be completely inexcusable for this Mavericks franchise and would cause for a lot of people to maybe look in the mirror. Maybe not jobs lost, but there will be a lot of introspection because Mark Cuban does not stand for that. We know him well. As exciting as everything is in the Western Conference, it's equally exciting in the Eastern Conference, if not more exciting. So after a quick break, we will go through some of the biggest playoff races in the Eastern Conference to figure out where everything's going to fall. All right, so the Eastern Conference standings, I feel like all year, we kind of considered it a two-horse race, right? We we talked all year, early year, excuse me, not all year, but the, the first quarter of the year, first half of the year, it was like, oh, it's going to be Bucks, going to be Celtics, the rivalry renewed, it's going to be just a crash course to get them in the Eastern Conference Finals. I won't say all of a sudden, but recently, the 76ers have entered the conversation in a major way, and it feels like it's going to be those three teams jostling, you know, for those top three spots. The Bucks have a little bit of, uh, I guess you could say, a little bit of separation as of right now, but not that much separation. So first off, let's, I guess, start with the Celtics. What do you make of their recent struggles and kind of opening the door back up for the 76ers to come in and enter the conversation um, and how valuable do you think where these three teams finish is going to be for how they potentially set up their runs to the Eastern Conference Finals and beyond? I do think it's super important to, you know, try and claim one of those top two seeds because that is the difference between potentially having to play a team like Miami in the first round. Yeah. Who, as we've seen in the past, like they've knocked out the Bucks in the first round before. They're an extremely physical team that will wear you down. It feels like they are just inevitably going to force a team to like six or seven games. And I don't think that, you know, Boston or Philly or Milwaukee, I don't think any of them want to see them in the first round. Um, so, you know, obviously home court advantage is going to make a huge difference as well, as we saw, you know, last year um, during the Celtics run to the finals. Um, but at the same time, you know, for a team like Boston, it's all about getting healthy and making right. sure that, you know, their core eight guys are going to be able to, you know, be available for long stretches of minutes and, and nobody's on a minutes restriction or anything like that come playoff time, you know, down the home stretch of the season as they're playing some of their worst basketball of the year. Uh, you yeah. know, everybody from Malcolm Brogdon to Marcus Smart to Robert Williams is missing games. Al Horford's still not playing in back-to-backs. That's more out of precaution than anything else. You know, Jason Tatum is still kind of dealing with a nagging wrist injury. Jalen Brown's missed some games. So, you know, even though I've long said that they're the deepest team in the NBA, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the type of players that they're going to trim their rate rotation to in the playoffs, I think their eight or nine guys stack up with any other team in the NBA. You know, it's important to have all eight or nine of those guys right. available and healthy and ready to go come playoff time because, you know, as great as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are, you know, as we saw last year, they still need some help. And that's why they went out and got guys like Malcolm Brogdon to be able to kind of, you know, facilitate some offense for that second unit, take a little bit of offensive pressure off of those two stars on nights they don't have it going. Um, so, you know, right now the Celtics, 
since the all-star break, they've, they've basically just been an average team. They have not been yeah. the world beaters that they, that they were in the first three quarters of the season. I mean, since the all-star break, they're floating towards the middle in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Same with net rating. Uh, you know, they, they've, been horrible in the fourth quarter. They can't take care of the ball when it matters most, which is a play, uh, you know a huge issue that we saw last year in the playoffs. And uh, you know, right now they've they've sacrificed that number one seed they held all, basically all season up until the All Star break, and now it almost feels like Milwaukee's not going to relinquish that. Yeah, uh, it's funny you kind of outlined a lot of the issues that the Celtics team have been been dealing with, and it brings you back to the beginning of the year when they were just shooting the ball at like an historic clip. You know, it'd be like every other game they're they're making eight, nine, ten three pointers in the first quarter of the game and they're just blowing teams out of out of the water. I know health is a big part of it. Um but this late season lull, how concerned do you think Celtics fans should be, the Celtics should be about this lull coming at this time? Or I know people have said that uh, DeMarcus Cousins said that this team is bored and it doesn't matter. Once the playoffs start, they'll be ready to rock. They know what it takes to get to the finals now. Which side do you think is is close to the truth? I honestly think it's somewhere in the middle again, like riding the fence. But like, (laughs) there are definitely games against some of the bottom half of the the teams in the bottom half of the league where you can tell that they're bored and they're not moving the ball offensively. It's more like, you know, your turn, my turn, the, the version of the Celtics that we saw like with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward and, you know, Jalen and Jason were still trying to get their shots. And uh, it at times almost feels like that, where, like you said, at the beginning of the year, I mean, the synergy watching this team play on offense, like I, I, that was some of the most fun basketball I'd ever watched. And I was watching every game very closely, you know, being from Boston and everything like that, like the way the ball moved and just find, you know, making extra passes to find open guys. That's how they were beating everybody, you know, shooting the three at, at a historic clip, the same way that you had already said. So you know, I think it's kind of a combination of both because I do think that they are getting bored a little bit. You know, they were, like I said, world beaters for the first three quarters of the season. It felt like they'd kind of turn it on and off whenever they wanted and find ways to win games. And that's not the case anymore. And I also think that, you know, teams come in with a target on their back with that yeah. infamous John Moran yeah. interview from midway through the season where Malik Andrews asked him who you're worried about in the West. He said, nobody, I'm worried about Boston. Like it kind yeah. of felt like they had established themselves as the best team in the NBA early and everybody put a target on their back for when they play the Celtics. And, you know, teams are starting to realize that Boston doesn't really like when teams play physical. Like if you get really tough with them and play physical with them, they can kind of curl up into a ball. And that's when you start to see, you know, a lot of turnovers and, and mm-hmm. four shots and things like that. The Knicks do a great job of that. And that's, you know, that's why the Knicks have given the Celtics so much trouble uh, to this point in the season, you know, I even think about a game against the Rockets that they had blown last week where it kind of felt the same way. The Rockets were kind of bullying them. That can't be happening mm. to a team yeah. that's, you know, been one of the worst in the NBA all season. So, you know, as far as the panic meter goes, I'm really not tilting too far towards panicking just yet about the Celtics team because I do think that when push comes to shove and the playoffs come around, they know, all right, this is our time and this is a, a prime opportunity to make a run to the finals. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, a lot of the issues that we're seeing late in the season are issues that we saw in the playoffs last year. So mm-hmm. did they learn from their mistakes last year? And are they going to be mm-hmm. able to, you know, kind of improve upon those mistakes in the playoffs to get back to the stage that they got to last year and potentially even over the top to win Larry O'Brien trophy? Yeah, that's a great point. Thinking about just the fact that like the, they're kind of repeating the same things and there have been some minor changes. Obviously the biggest change is adding Malcolm Brogdon uh, to the roster, but if they're going to continue to do the same things, you know, what is going to be different? What are the the small differences that need to to, to be made? Because they were two wins away from it, but those two wins just showed how important the little things are 
uh, towards winning an NBA title. Again, looking at the, the Eastern Conference standings, you know, as, as jumbled as the West is, the East is very clearly tiered. You know, we talked about those top three teams, the Bucks, 76ers, and, and Celtics. Seems like it's going to be one of those, you know, those, those teams are going to be in the top three. We just don't know which order. And the West is the same as far as that goes. But after that, it's like the Cavs seem pretty locked in at four, save for another big run uh, from the Knicks. But it feels like those two teams are going to play against one another in the first round of the playoffs. But then after that, it gets kind of interesting. We talked a little bit about, especially now you mentioned in the Celtics don't necessarily like to get physical. The Heat, that's their that's their MO. And the Heat have stayed steady. They've kind of figured things out from the beginning of the year. They probably can get to six if the Nets continue to, to stumble a little bit. And then whoever doesn't want to finish third because they don't want to play the Heat in the first round, whether you're Milwaukee, Philly, or Boston, I don't think it matters. You don't want to see Miami in the first round. You might be a better team, more talented, but they're gonna it's gonna be a a, a very painful, annoying six games probably maybe even seven depending on the matchups but in that play-in range right now you're looking at brooklyn you're looking at atlanta which crazy stat they've been within one game of 500 for the past 25 games i think it was pointed out earlier uh today and i'll probably stay the same for the rest of the season but then you have toronto chicago indiana washington and orlando is all but eliminated but they, they're still playing some really good basketball and they have a really bright future down in the sunshine state i didn't even mean to, to make a pun there, but they do have a bright future there. So when you look at, at, at the play-in picture in the Eastern Conference and the fact that the Raptors are hanging around, huge difference between finishing eighth and ninth, it, it kind of feels like with the Raptors, from their lens, perfect world, they jump the Hawks for eighth, and then the Heat fall up, jump up into the top six, and they play the Nets in the first round. I don't think if you're the Raptors, you're that scared and maybe you regret thinking, feeling this way, but you don't, you're not, you're not that scared of, of going down to Barclays, uh, for a one game situation. And I think the teams are pretty evenly matched. And, uh, I think that the Raptors are in a kind of a good spot right now. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, even though they're only two and a half games up from Indiana and Washington as the first two teams out of the playoff picture, the Raptors have been solid enough, um, you know, yeah. in the second half of the season that makes me feel like they're going to end up being a playing team. Um, you know, I don't think they're as talented as the Heat or as established as the Heat, but they kind of give off a similar vibe of like they're going to give you everything that they have uh, in yeah. a playoff series if they can get out of the play-in tournament and, and face somebody in the first round. So, you know, I think they're capable of making a series kind of scrappy and ugly and, and really make a team work for it, even if it only goes to, you know, five games, maybe six games. Uh, I still think that they can wear a team down in the first round. Um, but, you know, like you said, I think that the, their best path to actually making the playoffs is getting to either that seven or eight spot where they're only going to have to win one game because mm -hmm. you know they've been super inconsistent all year. You never know which Raptors team is going to show up. There are nights where they look like you know they're a team that could win a playoff series in the East, and then there are other nights where they look like they have no business even being in the playoffs. So right. you know if they got if they finish in the nine ten range that they're in right now, they might be in trouble because I don't even know if this team is capable of stringing together back to back wins when they need it most. Um, but you know as of right now. I do feel pretty confident about their ability to close the season strong and, and finish in the top 10 in the East to give themselves a chance to play themselves into the playoffs. Yeah, I think the big thing that, that we talk about with this Raptors team and finishing the season strong and honestly just kind of speaks to the fiber of this team and why it's much more than ECI. You look at where they are entering the week. They're five and five in their last 10, right? But <laughs> you, 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 you kind of put the magnifying glass on it. They lost three in a row. They go one and four on the road. Uh, with the one win coming at Washington, then they lose 
both games against the Lakers and the Clippers in L.A. and lose to the Nuggets. Questionable stuff at the end of the game. Scotty Barnes gets tossed. They come home, though, and take care of business in the homestand. Go 3-0, and Denver, OKC, Minnesota, all wins. T- play the Bucks as tough as you can play them on the second end of a back-to-back when the Bucks were at full strength and you start off the fourth quarter shooting, I think, one for 11, one for 10, one for 11, whatever it is. They lost by seven. And I think that is just that speaks to this Raptors team and just that they that they are a tough team and they're not going to back down. Um, now they enter a very important stretch um, coming up. Another homestand, the last homestand of the season. This week's matchups against Indiana, Detroit, Washington, and then familiar friend Kyle Lowry comes in for a game that will be televised nationally on TNT in the States against that same Miami team we talked about. This looks like opportunity for the Raptors who enter the week at 35 and 37. Haven't been at 500, I think, since December. So is this the stretch that gets them back above 500? It has to be. I think that, you know, you look at this four-game home stretch, they got to win three of those games. And it might not necessarily be the three teams that you think, where you'd assume they beat Indiana, Detroit, and Washington and lose to Miami. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I could see it being any combination of those where maybe they happen to beat Miami because they bring their best on that given night, but, you know, fall off against a team like the Pistons or something like that. Um, and Dwayne then Casey's you know, Super Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Dwayne Casey has a history of beating his former team. So, you know, but I also think it's just as important to look to the stretch they have after that, where they all of a sudden go on a five game road stand to, you know, almost end the season where they only play one more game back at home. And that's against the Bucks who, you know, if the Raptors get lucky, the Bucks aren't playing for anything and they're sitting Giannis and they're sitting Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And that could be an easy win to kind of, you know, solidify themselves in the playoffs. But at the same time, you know, that road stand, is no joke. They play the Sixers once. They play the Celtics twice. And those are going to be teams that are fighting, like we said, for a potential top two seed in the East. And they're going to have to give Toronto everything they have. So, you know, like I said, I feel confident in the Raptors' ability to hold the playoff spot, but it all starts with winning at least three games in this upcoming four-game road trip. Yeah, I think, to, to, to like you said, that there's 10 games left. So it's the four-game homestand, five-game roadie, um, which you can't really call it that much of roadie. I think it's not that much travel. They go to Philly, two games in Charlotte, two games in Boston, come back home and and play the Bucks. the way I've seen it. I agree with you. They got to get three three of those four uh, on the homestand. Maybe get greedy. Maybe get all four. Um, but get three out of four on that. And I think you need to get three of the five on that road trip. So you got to take care of business in Charlotte um, and then get at least one of those games against Philly or Boston. Um, you come back home. And like you said, hopefully Milwaukee has nothing to play for. And you 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 get that one as well. You think about it, that's going seven and three in, in the last 10 games. And I think if you go and, and when you break it down that way, it, it doesn't really seem that far fetched. That'd be finishing 42 and 40. I don't think that gets you any higher than eight. Um, but again, like you said, it's, it's so important to only have to win one game to get in the playoffs because we talk about the Heat, who are 39 and 34 right now. The Nets are 39 and 32. So barring a catastrophic meltdown from either of those teams, you probably don't get up to seven. And the Raptors had – I haven't even talked about this very often, but the Raptors got the worst luck. They played the Nets all four times before they traded KD and Kyrie. I think they got swept in the season series. So – the guys who are on the Nets now are reaping the benefits of KD and Kyrie handling their business and winning that season series. So even if the Nets had that big of a meltdown, the Raptors would have to finish a game above them to get seven. So Raptors fans, be prepared to have a watch party uh, at your favorite watching spot to uh, watch them in the first play-in tournament game. But again, just hope that they are in eighth 
and they only need to win one game because if they lose that game, they come back to Scotiabank Arena and we know how they would be in a game seven type circumstance. We talked about it in the Eastern, in the Western Conference, sorry, already, but in the Eastern Conference, it's a little bit different with these teams again, but would you say it's the biggest disappointment for which one of these playoff playing teams if they were to miss the playoffs altogether? It's got to be the Chicago Bulls, right? Like the Bulls felt like they were a contender when they made that move to get Nikola Vucevic at the trade deadline two years ago. Yeah. And like now they just feel like they are the definition of stuck in no man's land in the NBA. Like they're not bad, <sighs> bad. enough to, you know, tank for lottery picks and the Magic even own some of their picks. They don't have it. <laughs> still from the Vucevic trade. So like they, they don't even have their own picks and they're not good enough to kind of get over the hump and be contenders in the East. Um, you know, they, they really are just kind of trapped in mediocrity right now. And, you know, with that being said, like you still want to give yourself a chance and make the playoffs here, make the playing tournament because with guys like DeMar and guys like Levine and Vooch, like they're expected to win, but I don't think anybody would even project this team to win a first round series. I don't know if they're capable of winning a first round series if they were to get out of the playing tournament. So it feels like a pretty safe answer to say that the bulls have the most pressure on them to make the playoffs in, in the East for sure. Yeah, I think I think they have a, a huge amount of pressure, especially like you said, everything with the way you outline. They mortgaged their future to to bring in Vooch, and that was a guy who was expected to kind of be the piece. And and obviously, the Lonzo Ball injury piece is a huge part in that. They looked like real contenders last year, and, and this is the situation is really sad. Lonzo uh, has not played since January of 2022. And there are reports after he went underwent another surgery, he might not play again until October 2024. Um, so, you know, the game is better when Lonzo's playing. It has been tough, but hopefully this latest operation, latest surgery gets him back on the floor. That being said, they still have Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Vooch went on, on the buyout market, added Pat Bev, who said he wanted to get his hometown team to the postseason. Young guys like uh, Kobe White, um, Pat Patrick Williams, um, Io DeSumo, like they have a lot of guys on that team, you know, being four games under 500 with, with 12 games left in the season, obviously doesn't tell the entire story about injuries and, and ups and downs they've dealt with, but that would be a huge uh, shortcoming for, for that team. Another one I'll, I'll say is the Hawks. Um, this Hawks team uh, made the move to get DeJounte Murray. Um, they made the move to bring in Quinn Snyder mid season rather than wait till the end of the season. A lot of talent on that roster, we talked about it already. They've floated around 500 all season and just seem, can't seem to get there. And, and they're led by, uh, you know, an all-star caliber guy. It wasn't an all-star this year, but an all-star caliber guy in Trey Young. Uh, they just paid Bogdan Bogdanovich to be a part of their future for a while, which looks a little funny in the fact they didn't want to pay Kevin Herter, uh, just given their age and player profile or whatever. But I understand that they're different players. But I, I think that the Hawks, it would be a big meltdown if they were to not make the playoffs but again i just talked about the raptors potentially jumping them you can see the hawks fall into ninth probably won't fall any further than that but it kind of feels like they'll be eight or ninth they fall in ninth small slim margin of error you know you play against a bulls team demar Derozan, tough shot maker big moment guy played on big moments that's when that veteran presence kind of kind of comes to play there so there's a timeline in which any of these teams obviously miss the playoffs. I, I don't think that like the teams in the Western Conference, I wouldn't expect any of these teams in the in the Eastern Conference play-in picture to really uh, give a tough series or to be able to eliminate the Bucks or the Sixers or the Celtics, however that shakes out. Um, but it's very interesting to think about just the fact that you know these teams are, are jostling to to play one of those top teams while those top teams are really 
they wouldn't admit it, but probably jostling to avoid uh, a first round date with the Heat, which we've already described would not be fun at all. Yeah, <clears throat> I think the the Hawks. I've, I don't know if I had said this on here recently or maybe it was just in one of our work meetings, but like the Hawks going to that Eastern Conference Finals almost feels like a curse. Like, I don't know right. if that was a good thing because yeah. it made that organization and that franchise feel like they were only one move away from, you know, really being contenders. And that's when they went out and got DeJounta Murray this year. It was kind of an odd mm-hmm. fit next to Trey Young, both ball dominant guards. And I'm not yeah. saying that it hasn't worked. I mean, like you said, they've been hovering around 500 all year. It obviously hasn't worked the way that they would have hoped, but you know, with the talent on this roster, you would expect Atlanta to be better. Guys like DeAndre Hunter, guys like John Collins, Clint Capella, yeah. uh, Onyeka Okongwu is someone who's come along yeah. big time, uh, you know, late in the season. So it made a huge impact for them. So, you know, it would be a massive disappointment. I don't know if it would be like Bulls level disappointment, but it would yeah. be a massive disappointment if the Hawks were to miss the playoffs. So I think that they could kind of fall back on the excuse of, well, we change coaches midseason and you know, I, Trey and DeJounte needed a, more than a year to kind of get used to playing next to each other. Like whatever excuse you want to come up with, I'm sure they could, you know, kind of talk themselves out of it being as big of a dis- disappointment as Chicago. But, you know, with that being said, I think that if the Hawks aren't one of the teams that wins the playing tournament and makes the actual playoffs, it is a massive disappointment for a season. Yeah, I was going to say one saving grace that they have is that they are young. And they still have their first round pick this year. So the Bulls, regardless of what happens with them, Orlando's is going to be on the clock. And uh, things are looking bright. Like I said, down in Orlando, they got a lot going on. Shout out to Markel Fultz, uh, set a new career high and a road win over the Magic. So based on everything, like we talked about disappointment, whoever these teams are going to be, there's going to be teams that are going to make some changes this offseason. So, uh, you know, as we prepare for the playoffs, we'll also be preparing for the offseason because there's sure to be a lot of movement uh, with these teams who maybe eventually decide to rebuild, retool. Um, but And then there are teams like OKC and Utah that are sitting very pretty by building the right way, I guess you could say, instead of making any uh, rash moves, rash decisions to uh, think that they're one move away. And we got it covered all here on NBA Sound System to lead up to the 2023 NBA playoffs, draft lottery, and NBA draft. So, of course, Kyle will still be back on here plenty of times because there's going to be more uh, to discuss as the landscape ahead of the draft takes shape. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of NBA Sound System. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We'll have them in your feed every time they drop. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. Thanks for tuning in to NBA Sound System. We'll catch you here same time next week. We'll be right back. 